everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. In our last episode, I interviewed Stephanie Malon Rufi. Today, I have as my guest Tracy Warnberg Lem, Stephanie's partner in crime and co host of the Social Change Leaders podcast. As I told Stephanie, I feel like I've known these ladies my whole life, and you're about to find out why. Tracy is the owner of Social Motion, a training, coaching, and consulting company that she founded in 2006. Social Motion energizes civic policy and community-based solutions and supports leaders that drive them. You can tell already why I wanted her to come on my podcast. Tracy draws upon her MPA education and 20 plus years of experience serving communities, nonprofits, and government agencies in the United States and abroad. Social Motion supports individuals and organizations through learning design and development services, social impact planning, individual and group coaching. She also is a facilitator, a speaker, and a trainer. So welcome, Tracy, to the podcast. Hey, Tracy, thank you so much for joining me on Community Possibilities. Well, thank you for having me. So um, uh, Tracy and I were just uh, chatting and I decided I better hit record um, before we lose <laughs> a lot of the good stuff. And as I mentioned uh, last episode, uh, when I talked to Tracy's buddy, Stephanie, that um, I don't know why I've never met these ladies before, before I was so bold to say, hey, can I come on your podcast? Uh, because we have so much in common. So before yes. I start um, just rattling on and on, which I could do if I get excited. Um, Tracy, I'm going to stop uh, and let you just introduce yourself to my audience. Okay. Well, I am Tracy Warnberg Lem, and I am a Minnesotan through and through for good and bad. Minnesota. <laughs> right, right. I, I've left Minnesota a few times for, you know, larger chunks of time, but generally through and through a Minnesotan. Um, my background, actually, my bachelor's degree is in social work. And after I got my degree, I worked a lot with, in a lot of areas, youth and crime prevention and seniors and housing. And one of the things I'm really passionate about and have learned on my journey is that even though there's so many different challenges we're all addressing, so much of the work that I did at a young age as a new professional was so similar, but I really was tuned in and dialed into the fact that the way that we solved these challenges was so similar and it's really the same. And I was also aware that we did so many band-aid solutions to things. So I started out as a kind of a social worker out doing, you know, good work, important work that I really loved and was energized by. But um, in college, I kept thinking about a story that one of my college professors has have told, and I'm sure everyone has heard this. It's a parable about two people who are rescuing children from a rushing river, and they keep pulling these children out of the river. And then one heads upstream and asks, and then the other person asks them where they're going. You know, we have all these children we're trying to save from the river. And he runs and says, I'm going upstream to find out why these kids are in the water. And so, um, and, and so I just, I couldn't get that image out of my head as I was doing all this work in my younger years and went back to school to get my master's in public affairs, thinking that would maybe be the upstream solution that would kind of help me to better solve the challenges that I was really passionate about. And um, through that process, learned a lot about uh, public policy. And I'm, I'm a civic nerd. I was raised in a very 
civically engaged household. My parents brought us to vote from day one and we talked about politics. We talked about the elections. So that was really part of who I was anyway. And after I got my graduate degree, I got a fellowship to work with the Asian Human Rights Commission in Hong Kong. And so part of that experience was monitoring the Sri Lankan parliamentary elections in 2001. And that was one of the most profound professional experiences of my life, just to be, uh, just be observing. And we were hired a translator. We traveled all over the country and we'd go to these communities and they were just so grateful to be able to vote and participate in democracy in a, in some, in a way that hadn't happened for a number of years. And one of the places we went, we were hosted by, it was a group of monks. And so the translators were working with us talking about what to wear and that the women don't touch the monks. And, but then they had all these foods that they brought around from the whole community as a thank you to us. Mm. And it was just this humbling, beautiful experience. And then just observing the election and the election worked very different than how our elections worked. They, um, you know, people stood in line for hours and I, that was, this was typical hours and hours and hours. And they, we were, we were stationed in some villages that were pretty far out. And so they had pictures on the ballots and a lot of them could not read and write. So they had a panel of uh, village elders that, that acknowledged, yep, that's Ann Price. She can, she can vote. And it was just such a beautiful experience. So I really came back from that and just was really committed to, um, how do I say this? Really committed to trying to kind of pull together and amplify and leverage and help people understand the value of our government and our civic structures, because that really is how we have chosen to live and work and play together. That's the umbrella that kind of binds us together for good and bad. And so I was just really motivated to do that. And I've worked with government in government since then, working on a lot of community initiatives. I, through that experience too, my ex-husband and I traveled around the world for nine months after the fellowship was done, <laughs> traveled through South Pacific, so traveling is one of my drugs of choice. And this was back in 2001. So this was before Facebook and uh, before travel blogs and all of this. And so it's so fun to look back and think about that time. So, so I'm kind of in a phase with my life too, just kind of resetting a little bit. I have um, one of the unexpected souvenirs from that trip was my son. We <laughs> got pregnant in Australia. <laughs> so, so he was our unexpected souvenir and he just went to college this fall. And so I'm officially an empty nester and um, I'm doing a little traveling again. I sold my home I've lived in for about 20 years and I'm kind of traveling again and kind of getting back to some of my roots and rethinking and retooling my business that I've had for about 15 years and really focused on how do we come together, solve problems in this new world we all find ourselves in. And I'm just really passionate about that intersection of the public, private, nonprofit sector, and how do we engage and leverage and solve problems differently and perhaps better? So, well, should I hand you the virtual Kleenex? <laughs> it's been a tough year. I'm not going to lie. I was, I thought I was prepared. I'd read the books, and you know, it, it's it's different too when you have an only child. Like he is mm -hmm. my, all of our kids are our world, but he really like he was my main person that I traveled with, he drove me everywhere. So yeah, it's been a tough year, but we're getting yeah. through it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can feel you. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> well, you gave us so many gems there. It certainly gave us a picture of just how broad your experience is and how that, how that touches your work. Um, 
And I got to tell you that that metaphor of kids fall in the river, that's one of my favorite metaphors. I use it all the time when I'm talking uh, to folks in community who are having a hard time kind of getting their head around uh, or getting their head out of like an individual victim blaming kind of behavior. You know, people are totally responsible for themselves and uh, communities and systems have nothing to do with that. Um, So I love that story. We could definitely go there. And that, but that story kind of is one that I use when I'm trying to talk about root causes, which I know is something that's kind of near and dear to your heart, because that really is the crux of when communities have a hard time kind of seeing beyond what they're seeing. that makes sense. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So let's talk about root causes. Cause I think you and I have that in common and how do you help um, communities or how do we help communities and nonprofits and the coalitions that we work with really get to that, you know, dig, I'm looking at my garden, right? So how do I really get to the root? Pro- how do I find yeah. that vine board that's killing my zucchini already? Right. <laughs> um, so if we really want to change our communities, that's what we have to do. Yep. Would you absolutely. not agree? I, 120%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, getting to the root causes is not as simple as running up to the edge of the river and seeing what's going on. It is, it is very complicated and complex for sure, but it's also at the same time, really simple. You know, just kind of finding a process it's simple? to get there. Okay, you just gave me goosebumps. All right, let me get, <laughs> let me get out my pen. Tracy says, "Okay, simple. I'm going to tell us." Okay, I'm going to tell a story that maybe will illustrate that it actually is simple. Because at the end of the day, we all really do want the same things. I think that we just forget that we forget that we do, and we don't always have processes and tools that get us to remember that. Um, so yeah, root causes. It's about it's about thinking a different way. And um, so I'm going to tell a story, and this is just sort of a funny story. It's a, it's a project I um, was involved in fairly recently, and it was doing some things around health disparities in a community that had pretty significant health disparities. And um, we talked about, you know, how do we get at the root cause? And this community had, you know, many, many different understandings of why they had these disparities. I'm sure everyone can imagine the range and the spectrum of ideas and perceptions that people had. And so we gathered together, it was a really good group of multi-sector leaders from government, corporate, nonprofits, the the group that started it did a really good job of bringing in people from the various different diverse communities that are represented in the community. And it was a pretty solid group. Sorry, I had to to jump in there. What a concept, bring in the community members. Exactly, right, exactly, exactly. I know those basic things that again, simple, but we don't do it. We don't always do it. And we definitely don't do it well in a lot of cases Mm -hmm. in in my experience, but the group that kind of launched it, they were from the community and just kind of got it and were, and had those relationships. They already had those relationships because they'd been working on them for years. And so they brought the, they brought a lot of great, great people in. So it started with a really good collaborative group. So having said that, that's a lot of work, as you well know, that goes into just that piece of work. Mm -hmm. So then um, with that, so we wanted to kind of get at the root causes, knowing that even in this group that got it and was willing to dig in and work on this, that there would be a lot of different opinions and perspectives on this very challenging issue that we're tackling in our country. Mm -hmm. And so we had talked about root causes and we talked about the five whys. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. But maybe yeah. people in our audience aren't. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So it's, it's the notion that we, um, so you have a problem. 
And then you keep asking yourself why. And there's a great video, and maybe we can put a link in the show notes. Sure. But there's a great video on YouTube that that there's a story behind how the history of the story, the analogy. But in essence, what it was was there was a monument in Washington D.C., the Jefferson Memorial, that was um, causing. Uh, I'm trying to remember the air. How did it go? I'm trying to get my head there. <laughs> The airplane, the, the monument, they kept having to fix the monument because of the bird poop, basically. And so they were asking, I'm going to have to pause. Sorry. Let me try again here. How does it start? I'm sorry. Can you remember how it starts? Uh, how, how what starts? It was something with the airport. I'm try, I just saw it. It was something about the airport. Oh, I, yeah, because I, I don't know the story. Ah. I'm trying to remember how it starts. Okay, let me start over. Sorry. That's okay. Um, So the five whys is the notion that often we don't dig deep enough into problems. And so the idea is you keep asking yourself why. And it's based on a story in Washington, D.C. about some monuments and the birds kept pooping on the monuments. And they kept kind of asking why. Well, why is this happening? And why is the monument falling apart because of the chemicals they were using in the cleaning product? Well, why are we using that solution? And it was because the pigeons were pooping on it. Well, why are the pigeons pooping on that monument versus all the other monuments here in Washington, DC? And they had to have a special one because it had mites that the other ones didn't. Well, why are the mites on that monument? And they found out it was because of the lighting and it just they just kind of kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And so their solution from moving the monument changed to um, putting in different light bulbs. So they changed a light bulb, saved themselves millions of dollars and a lot of headache by just keep asking why. So it's, it's gotcha. a notion of digging deeper mm-hmm. and deeper and deeper and getting to the root cause. And so there's a great video on YouTube I can share with you to share with your audience that gives a good cartoon, three minutes, it's three minutes, but it really does mm-hmm. a great job illustrating this concept. And so we, we wanted to use that video and we did this with this collaborative group that was wanting to figure out what their understanding of the root cause of their health disparities in their community was. So we did this exercise, we showed them the video, and then we did our own process with this group that was a pretty decent sized group. Why do we have health disparities in this community? And there was quite a range of why they thought it was. And then we said, okay, now everyone take a look and share all the different opinions and thoughts that we have. Now pick one that's resonating with you. It maybe is your own, maybe it's someone else's and then ask why, dig a little deeper why that is. And so, you know, and then we did another session. So we did this five times. And at the end of the day, it was really, really, um, it was very insightful and very instructive because what started out as solutions of, well, our healthcare systems don't have technology that talks with one another and we have language barriers and the county board doesn't do this, that, this, that, or the other, some of these things on the top. But really at the end of the day, this group, this diverse group from all different sectors really landed on things about trust and being vulnerable with one another and not having the relationships that they needed to really do the work and dig in. And there just wasn't trust and it was fascinating. So really this community group came to this consensus that at the core of their health equity issues is a lack of trust and good communication in the community. And so we are building solutions around those things. And in the process, I'm confident that 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 coalition is going to keep building and getting bigger and better. And um, it's really neat. So what what's hard is doing that work is hard for sure. Mm -hmm. But just kind of getting to the root cause um, was just really instructive and really helpful. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. And I know there's several, I've seen different, several different ways of doing the, the five whys, like the, there's the fishbone or I've seen it like yep. depicted as a tree, but the, the crux of it is, is you keep digging and digging and digging until you get to the thing. Yes. Like, yes. Yep. Like in your, in your example, the, why are the birds pooping on this one particular monument? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Good example. So. <laughs> So, so you are out in the community like I am in, in this, I don't know, we'll call it the social change space. And I hear you, um, it sounds like you have a lot of experience working with um, local community groups and community um, governments. And as you know, we are blessed um, to live where we live and to have, yep. to have a democracy. It doesn't yep. feel like it works that well. Yep. lately and we yep. don't always agree so nope. have you ha have you been in that situation in communities and maybe can you give us an example of you know how you handle that when you've got because um, I can imagine in that example that you just gave us where somebody says well yep. you know what I was saying earlier like well people yep. just need to eat better Yep. That, that yep. I can see that being offered as a solution. Um, and, 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 and then we get, we get into the, you know, we get into our corners, right? So. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think it goes back to just leadership. And I think one of the things that's really important is um, just all of us that are working in this space. And even if we don't consider ourselves leaders, we're all leaders. We're all teachers all the time. I think one thing that's really important when approaching this work is to really be authentic know yourself, invest in yourself, invest in your self-care because this work is not easy. And so that's really one of the first most important things, you know, work on your mindset, try to try to figure out how to your, how you're going to sustain your energy when doing this work, because it is challenging and um, yeah, building really. And uh, yeah, so that, that's the first thing I always start out with saying, you know, know yourself, be authentic and just kind of take care of yourselves for the long haul. Um, I think Often when we work with groups that have different opinions and different thoughts, it kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier, how you, no matter what the topic or what the issue is that we're working on, a lot of the things that I've learned through many, many, many years is that the strategies and the tools are kind of the same depending on the situation. And it doesn't matter if it's a group that's cohesive and gets along pretty well, or if it's a group that's really contentious and does not even agree on the color of the plate in front of them. And a lot of those things come down to the same things. Be authentic, you know, ground yourself in being authentic and real. We are all so contagious and how we show up really does make a difference in a room. Um, and being very strategic, you know, doing system change work and making changes, it's a long game. It's long, it's challenging. And you really have to look at it that way. So be really strategic and really map out the players and the people. Understand the power that people hold or that they don't hold or that they perceive they hold or don't hold. Understand their interests in a particular subject and really be strategic. Because if you can be strategic and get people on the same page about what the goals are, which is the hard part, a lot of times things go much smoother than you would think. And um, uh, another thing I would say is center equity. And if you um, are not doing this or not sure what I'm talking about, I'm, everyone's heard this, get support in doing that. I'm not gonna speak to that this morning, but hold yourself accountable, 
get some resources, find people that are doing this work. There are so many people, I mean, get in touch with me or you. I know we both know a lot of people doing this work. There's great resources, hire them, pay them well and use them because when we're doing this work, it's going to be so important that we center equity and then recenter it again and then come back and recenter it again. Cause it's so easy for us to get off the track with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another important piece when doing this work and working with groups that may be very different is really just learning. One of my favorite quotes is by Harvey Firestone. And he said that the growth and development of people is the highest calling of leadership. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And learning, and when I talk about learning, I do a lot of learning design and development. And when we talk about learning, when I talk about learning, it's not about putting together a training. Oh, it seems like this group has different opinions about race. We're going to do a training and then, you know, wipe our hands and be done with it. And Mm -hmm. hopefully that solved the problem. That's not the case. Um, Trainings are important. You know, events are important, but learning is a long process. And so you have to really think through how you're all learning together. Mm -hmm. Um, how you're holding each other accountable, how you're creating systems and structures that are going to allow you to practice and try out new things you're learning. So one of the things that uh, I'm doing with a group right now that I'm working with is we're, it's a group, we're really learning about community engagement. And so we have embedded a lot of educational things that we're doing in every meeting. We're all sharing what we're trying out, what we're, where we're failing, where we're succeeding, and just really practicing how do we engage communities? Mm-hmm. How do we build these relationships? How do we build trust? And how do we c- become more vulnerable with one another? So I think those are some of the things that really do go a long way with, with working with groups, even when they're contentious. And even when they don't always see things the same, if you can get a little bit on the same page about what you're trying to accomplish and start building trust and nurturing those relationships, be strategic be learning as you go and just bring your authentic self. I think that actually goes a lot longer than a lot farther than people might realize. So, yeah. So it sounds like all of that really is um, it's kind of, you know, level setting and kind of grounding whatever group it is you're working with in the community. Like how are we going to be, you know, with each other? How are we going to come together and have conversations? I got to ask it because I have this like visual of like, some county commissioner looking at you like cross-eyed like you want you want me to learn you want me to be present wow you want me to build trust i do you ever get pushed you've done all the things yes you've, yes. you've done all you, you know you've done your feel you know the the all the feels and you got you think you got everybody on the there's always that one tracy you know it there's totally, always there that is. one there's always one there's always one <laughs> So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that resistance? Yep. Yep. Um, I've, I've learned over the years and it's funny. I learned this at a young age. I've learned over the years that I really don't give energy to that. I just focus my efforts on uh, changing the things that were there to change by doing the tools and the things that I know work. And eventually they get one over because you can't argue with results. Right. There you and go. so one of my, sto- one of the things that happened when I was young out of college, I was working again with a similar, it was a county group that was a, a leadership board made up of county commissioners. And there was two of those people you're referencing, two of them. And they were very stubborn and very entrenched and dug in. And then we had school board members and we had community members right. and we had young people. It was another, again, they did a good job of putting together a pretty decent collaborative leadership team. 
And the goal was to reduce crime in the highest crime neighborhood in this particular county. Well, I went in, you know, I was in my young 20s. I didn't know anything. I was a social worker. I knew nothing. I So I went in and I just kind of brought my little things I just learned in college. And um, I went right to the neighbors and asked them, okay, so I'm here. We're supposed to reduce crime. Do you guys have some ideas? Not really realizing that I was supposed to, in quotes, air quotes, I was supposed to be looking at best practices and I was supposed to be talking to the experts and I was supposed mm-hmm. to be doing all these different things that academia has learned and researched works, which I'm all for that. I um, Best practices definitely have their place. Um, but I, I just didn't know that at the time. So I went to the community and I said, okay, well, we're supposed to reduce crime. I mean, it affects you guys. What do you think we should do? And so we had a few meetings and their solution to reducing crime was to have popcorn parties in this local park. So I, again, I didn't know any better. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds good. So we organized, I helped facilitate and they organized themselves. I was just there to help facilitate and provide a little support. And they organized popcorn parties within the park. And literally within about three weeks, the drug dealers that were coming and setting up shop basically in the park, they had disappeared. And so within a few months, crime had reduced, had crime had reduced drastically just by that one simple thing that the solution that the community had for how to reduce crime. So then of course the police department noticed, the county commissioners noticed, and now all of a sudden they're asking, well, what are you doing over there? What's going on? How did this happen? We've been working on this. We've been trying to work. They've been working on it for years and years and years. And so I explained what happened and they were a little skeptical. And so they just kind of let me go on. And then we just kept doing the same thing. And then the next thing they decided they do, they wanted to do was put lights in the park. And then they just coming came up with these solutions. And within a year and a half, crime had reduced by over 50%, which is unheard of. I mean, for those that work in crime mm-hmm. prevention, that's unheard of. And it was all locally based solutions from the people that lived there that were affected by it the most. And so in that process, then the county board, <laughs> so then these two commissioners in particular, that had nothing but negative things to say. They were our biggest advocates and our biggest champions. And they were out there getting money for us to do more. And then they were the ones that wanted to spread this model to two other communities in the county. And, you know, we kind of went over by just kind of doing the work. And um, it was fun. It was fun. And we joked about it years later. We I got to know them really well. And we joked about it years later. And I reminded them, you were pretty skeptical at the beginning. You weren't really on board at the beginning. Keep that in mind next time people come with ideas and that are based in community feedback. I mean, I think that's really the key. Absolutely. Well, you know, in my world, best practice is asking the community. Yes, it it is is now. It is now. Yes, absolutely. It is. is. Um, Back then it wasn't. I mean, this was 20 years ago and it wasn't, it really wasn't. It was different strategies, but you're right. It very much is now. And it's, that's been a really positive development over the last 10, 20 years. Well, and and I don't want to give the impression that that always happens. Cause I think that's still very true that a lot of the community coalitions that I sit in, um, usually the people who are missing are the community members that they're trying to serve, whether that be a mm-hmm. youth substance abuse coalition or mm-hmm. uh, something like you were talking about trying to uh, reduce, you know, disparities or how do we get more people to vote? I mean, you name whatever the problem yep. is, um, yep. you know, it's yep. usually a lot of professionals who are paid to be at that meeting. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And, oh, and, oh yeah. The meeting usually happens, happens during 
the day when maybe, you know, other, other people are not being paid to be there. So anyway. yeah, exactly. So why, well, I'm curious, why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that it's just so much easier to default to, I mean, I think, is, is it just human nature? Maybe it's just human nature that it's so easy to just default to not engaging the community. Why do you think that is? I think it's because that's so that, that that we I'll put I'll put the 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 we the general we uh, think of ourselves as you know the the experts like you know somebody is an expert in you name it you know healthcare and somebody else is an expert in you know they're the local government official or the mayor or the chamber or whatever and we have all the heads of the agencies you know and I think everybody is you know is trying to serve in their own uh, way. Uh, but you know, our solutions can never be as good as yep. what that community. Li- and that, that story that yep. you just told, um, reminded me of one, a friend of mine, uh, tells, and I can't remember if they were trying, it was kind of something similar to your story. I can't remember if it was, they were trying to solve crime or they were trying to figure out why nobody, um, uh, was using the park in the neighborhood or something like that. And they went in, they asked the community what they wanted. And they said, well, we want you to do something about all these stray dogs in the, in the community, right? It had nothing to mm-hmm. do with what the problem yeah. was they were trying to solve. <laughs> but yep. the, the reason why people weren't getting out and about, and therefore all these other bad things were happening is because of all these stray dogs. So people were afraid to even like walk down the street for fear of being attacked. So, so, you know, to answer your question, you know, why, uh, it's our human nature. It's our, it's our, it's our, it's our, it's our power and our privilege that sometimes we don't recognize that we're kind of like holding and we operate within our little tunnel vision. So how do we get people to be collaborative? Right. So you yeah. go in yeah. and you set the stage and, you know, we're all here to learn and we're in here for the long haul and we dig in and we've yeah. developed our root causes, but you know, we know group dynamics, yeah. right? Yep. It's that norming, yep. forming, storming, right? Yep. So yep. just because yep. your, your coalition or your community collaborative is chunking along, that doesn't mean they're not going to like hit a wall at some point. Yep. Absolutely. So Absolutely. How, how do we collaborate? Yeah. Well, I think it's really important to always remember, you know, change is hard. It is hard for all of us. And sometimes the hardest person to lead is ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think it's been, I think it's a really effective tool for leaders to just call that out that this, we're asking people to change. We're asking our community to change. And, you know, so often we bypass the grief phase of change. And um, I think it's really good with groups to just call that out and acknowledge that Mm -hmm. and provide a little space for people to talk about. If we change, if our community changes and we do X, Y, and Z, there's going to be a lot of positive things, but change is hard. What are the things that we might miss? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the things that we might lose? And just calling that out and, and again, providing a little space for people to grieve the things that are going to change along with the positive, but what are some of the things that maybe people have a little resistance to? Mm. Um, that's a really effective tool. I had a epiphany not, not that long ago, but we were um, talking about this notion and Brene Brown has a new book out. I'm guessing you've heard Atlas of the Heart, where she talks about mm-hmm. this notion too, about grieving. And so it just hit me, you know, we have such a, I, I've, uh, now that my son's in college, I decided I'm going to really take off this baby fat now that he's in college. And it's such a challenge the older we get. Amen, sister. <laughs> right? I know it's just been this process for a while, but it just struck me here. I was just instructing and doing a presentation about the importance of grieving when we're trying to change communities and organizations. And I'm like, well, of course this applies to me. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what will it mean for me to live mm-hmm. in a little bit of a different body? And, and I'm going to change. It's going to be a lot of positive. 
but you know, what are those things that I need to give myself space to grieve and be sad about? And you mean like bread? Exactly. Right? <laughs> For me, it's chocolate and bread, but yeah, it's chocolate number one, bread number two, but yes, it's true. It's true. And how do we do that for ourselves? And how do we do that with our organizations and our communities? And yeah, because it's mm-hmm. hard. It's hard. And I think that's a that's a really important thing I think we can do as social change leaders to just allow space to yeah. call out, you know, the change and grieve. Let people yeah, grieve you know, the, I, that makes me think of the strangest. I don't know. Maybe it's a strange thing um, because, you know, it's those unanticipated consequences, which can be good and can be bad. So Absolutely. like years and years and years ago, um, uh, I re- we had a community leader in our church and she went to our pastor, our priest at the time and said, hey, we have all of these immigrants living in this community over here and they have no way to get to church. We need to do something about that. And of course, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Really resistant. But she literally grabbed him by the collar, literally the collar, and <laughs> put him in the car and, and drove him to the apartment complex mm-hmm. so he could see for himself. Uh, mm-hmm. And she won him over. And of mm-hmm. course, he, you know, went to all the other local, you know, churches uh, and um, may come as a surprise. But most of those pastors wanted nothing to do with this. Yes. Uh, long story yes. short, um, my, my church has become more and more and more integrated. So we have bilingual services. Now, do we have separate services and separate uh, education classes? Yes, but we also come together for bilingual services, for holidays. Yes. Uh, the parish picnic is Saturday, big 50, 50th uh, anniversary for our church. There will be Mexican food. There will be hamburgers and hot dogs. There will be the the life team band. There will be the mariachi band. There will be all of the things. And it's actually really lovely. But I can imagine the resistance that happened. What do you mean (laughs) we're going to share our space, right? What do you mean I can't have this room because um, this group has it at that time, right? I know that happened. I know that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And our, and our churches are very entrenched in a, in a lot of cases, they can be very entrenched in those um, traditional things they've always done. So yeah, that I'm sure that was a, that was a street fight to be sure. <laughs> so that's wonderful though. And I love to hear those stories. Cause even I have a, I'm here in Seattle right now, actually, and I'm staying with a good friend from high school. I'm traveling this year. Um, and that's her job. She works for uh, the ELCA and they're really looking and trying to kind of reconfigure, rethink, revision and repurpose church. And what does it mean in our community today? And how is it different? And it is, it's exciting. And it's really neat because I think when we, as we talk about system change and culture change, and, you know, I think for so long we had these rules that governed us and we had the, this way of being and this way of doing And I just think we have to really rethink everything. We have to rethink how we even view problems and how do we understand problems and how do we, I I just think it's just a major, major paradigm shift we're in the middle of. And I think it's really exciting. It's exciting and it's fun and it's challenging and it's frustrating. And, you know, I'm here for it. I know you're here for it. (laughs) Well, we might be, but I think there's a lot of folks who are not here for it. I mean, I I mean, that's just just the truth, right? Because like you said, you know, change change is hard. And there are a lot of folks who like, no, we don't need to go forward. We need to go back to the the good old days. The good old days. Yep. I mean, that, that's just the truth. Yep. I, no, I agree. I agree. 
and it is challenging. You know, I don't want to undermine it. It is challenging. And I, yeah. And I, and that's the area where I do get a little stuck because I think similar to my friend who's working to reinvigorate the church. One of the things that we're, that we talk about frequently is how, how do we know when we just need a different structure or a totally different system? You know, like I, I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people that work in the ministry and in churches and they're kind of struggling with that. You know, the mm-hmm. church has gone down and struggling and is it time to just say, okay, we have different ways that people are getting their spiritual needs met. Right. And maybe the traditional church doesn't need to hold on quite so tightly to the way it's always been. And the churches that are thriving, that's great, but maybe it's okay to let some of our churches die off. And because um, people are finding new ways to kind of step into their spirituality and the, the things that a lot of times people got from church, so to speak. And I think that's one of the things that I actually think about a lot is how, how do we do that with government and civics? Because I think that is an area that is so frustrating for most of us. I know very few people that aren't incredibly frustrated right now with the state of our government, our civic decision-making, how, how just all of it, it's, it's very frustrating and very challenging. And so I, I, I think about that a lot. How do, are we at a time where we maybe need to, you know, really look at American democracy and and acknowledge some of the some of the flaws that it was built upon and how do we and how do we address those and how do we work with that and how do we recommit and re-engage with the system that has held us together while acknowledging it is a very different time we are a very different population it is a very different world and I, I think that we yeah we all, we almost have different values in some senses and we're so tribal about how we view the problems. And so, yeah, I think it's really, really challenging. And I'm just one that I really think, again, that democracy is our way that we've chosen to organize ourselves and how we live and work together and the rules we agree that we all want to abide by. And I think there's a lot of things to try and preserve, but boy, I think we are at a really critical point in this country in terms of how are we going to sustain our democracy. It is very fragile. People don't realize how fragile democracies are. And we really all need to be stepping up and really giving some serious thought to this because I, you know, I'm sure a lot of you, like a lot of people have read some of the research and I don't know, it's, it's, it's definitely something to be thinking about for sure. So, which again is why, you know, as we're doing this work with, you know, communities and change, you know, I've worked at the nexus of the public, private, and non-profit sector for a long time. And I'm, I'm a civics nerd, so I really believe in the role of government and what it can do in the lives of our communities. But um, as we're doing this work, I think it is really important to acknowledge the flaws and figure out ways to work effectively together so that citizens can start seeing again that government does have a role. Um, it can be a force for good. It can be a true partner when it works well. The same way business, you know, I think people get down on business a lot too, you know, the corporate earnings and, you know, we see the disparities between the wealthy and the average worker getting work, you know, for 40 years, they've been growing apart and it's really easy to get down on corporate, corporate world too. But again, like we also see that the corporate sector has a lot of really innovative, creative things they're doing to create social change. And to the extent that those of us who work in leadership roles and are doing this community system, culture change work, to the extent we can bring all of these sectors together and find common meaning, common ground, set some shared goals and really build relationships across these sectors. I, I, I do feel optimistic overall for the general direction we're going. 
It's just, can we get there? Can we get there in a timely manner before before things start imploding before before (laughs) democracy implodes yeah exactly well exactly to put it bluntly yeah i I don't think we're always as civically educated as we um need to be who was i telling the other day um I think I mentioned this in my weekly email. I, I was standing in a very long line to vote in the in the primary and hearing some very uncomfortable conversations all around me. Uh, uh, the Uvalde shooting had just broken the news. I mean, like an hour before I went to vote, Ooh. right? So that's what people were starting to talk about. And of course, they all had solutions. Um, and I heard somebody say as I walked in, like, uh, and I live in Georgia. So they said, well, you know, whatever you vote in the... Um, uh, the primary, well, whatever ticket you vote in the primary, you have to vote in the general, which is actually not true, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I had like kept my mouth closed on all those other conversations, but I did have to say, um, yeah, and that's not true. Uh, and the other thing I don't think we mm-hmm. understand is how and why uh, we have become polarized. We have become mm-hmm. polarized because people have chosen to polarize us and we have allowed that to happen, right? We could go all the way back to uh, Newt Gingrich and his contract for America and what that did. Like when I was growing up, there were the yellow dog Democrats, right? They were like the, they were the middle of the road, right? So if if our country is divided, if we're in corners, it's because we have voted ourselves in these corners and we can choose to not do that. We can choose to what is our common ground? What can we agree on, on all of the things, whether that be uh, health disparity or uh, 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 gun, gun safety or, you know, gun control or however you want to call it, right? We we can all come to an agreement and move forward. We don't have to say, stay stuck, I guess. is Exactly. Yep. Yep. I agree. And I think so much of it too, like us as individuals, it comes down to power, you know, and I agree. I agree. We definitely have a lack of civic knowledge and I totally agree with you. They're both, you know, all of the parties want power and our media supports that. And yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into it. But I think a lot of times at the end of the day, it's about power. And they were having the same debates back in the 16, 1700s, you know, the, the federalists versus the anti-federalists. If you look at that, mm-hmm. we're having the exact same debates about the size and the role of government and who gets to be in power, who gets to make the decisions. And it's, we're having the same debates, just different topics. But I think, again, it just points to for, for all of us, all of us that are, you know, want to see our country do better, all of us doing this work with community engagement, how are we modeling um, sharing power? How do we uh, hold ourselves accountable? And how do we hold those we're working with accountable, whether they're in government, whether they're in corporate settings, whether they're in nonprofits, how are we being accountable? And how are we holding each other accountable for sharing power and making decisions mm-hmm. that are um, in the interest of the collective versus on in the interest of the few. And, you know, sounds, sounds simple, but yeah, it's, it's challenging on a large scale for sure. But so is this an area you see yourself kind of leaning into as you kind of move forward in this shifting in your, in your life that, that you would help folks in terms of, you know, advocacy? Mm-hmm. One of, um, potentially maybe one of the, one of the things that I've kicked around, it's been really funny. I've, um, I'm, I'm just one that I listen to everything and I always have. And I, so I really understand, I really try to understand all perspectives and all the political perspectives, as well as the issues. I'm a total policy nerd. 
But one of the things I'm really intrigued in is I've talked to a lot of people that are more right of center. I'm definitely left of center. I've talked to a lot of people right of center over the past number of years. And, I, and I've reached the conclusion that one of the things that we agree on <laughs> that is really easy to agree on is that we really have different understandings and different values. Mm-hmm. And I, I've just, I'm kicking around this idea and I just see, and I, I've got to find my people on this. So if you're out there, get in touch with me, but I feel like we're at this time where we have to, I think we can have different ways of viewing the issues, mm-hmm. um, but we need to create some space for that. We need to allow some space and some creative ways of doing public policy so that people are really living under the policies that they're choosing. Because right now that's the problem. You know, we mm-hmm. make decisions and whichever party is in power really determines if we're going to move forward on climate change or if we are not, or mm-hmm. if we are going to move towards a you know health system that is single payer and hopefully works better, or if we're gonna kind of keep it corporate. And so I think that just adds so much stress and it puts so much pressure on all of us as individuals and it puts so much pressure on our system. And so I've just been kicking around this idea with people, like it's almost like we need to have, um, and in a way we sort of have this and we're kind of moving this direction anyway, but how do we create um, systems where people really live under the policies they choose? So for example, with healthcare, I work a lot with healthcare and if healthcare, um, you know, we have some people that want to do it by the corporate system, then how can we set up a system so that they can do that? If they, if they choose, if they're gonna vote according to that and they want corporate healthcare, that's fine. <laughs> and those mm-hmm. of us that want to do single payer, we're going to be in this exchange and we're going to try single payer mm-hmm. and we're going to kind of experiment and do it so that everyone can feel like everyone's having access to the healthcare that they want, but they're doing, but they're voting their values. And maybe we just need to create space because I think, again, our dollars, you know, like in this country, the, our federal coffers are filled by states that are more, tend to be more progressive, you know, like in Minnesota, I live in the state of Minnesota. For every dollar we spend send to the federal government, we get about, I mean, last, I mean, this was years ago, it was like 60 cents back because we have, you know, we have higher state taxes and we invest in our education and we don't need as much as federal money, but we're subsidizing a lot of the states that maybe don't invest the same way. And that's not a judgment call, but I think that's what creates mm-hmm. this tension is because we're paying for stuff that we're not able to do because of the power dynamics that exist with our elections. So how do we create space? The same way when we work Mm -hmm. with communities, how do we create space so that people can have different opinions Mm -hmm. and different values and totally different perspectives on an issue, but everyone can bring something to the table that is unique to them. And how do we get on the same page just a little bit about what we're trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. And I think we need almost need to do that with our democracy too. How do we how do we retool our democracy just a bit so that people are choosing their policies and then have to live under them for good or bad, you know? So are you really saying um, find common ground where we can dig into the root causes, develop your strategies and where we can't, it's almost like you have uh, these different social systems and let's to you, to your 20 year old something self, let's see what works. (laughs) Exactly. It's kind of like our capitalistic system, you know, people, people vote with their pocketbook. You know, we have, if you want to buy the real Oreo cookies, you can do that. If you don't like that and you want to buy the cheaper ones, that's fine. So I feel like we need some creative solutions. We need some creative minds working on how we do this with our, you know, civic decision-making, but we'll see. So I have been, I have been thinking a lot about this and kind of trying to connect with some people on this. And because I think it all comes back to the stuff that we're talking about. You know, I just think that we are in this time where our you know, we just need to shift the mental models that we're working with. We really need new processes and structures and the same old way of just coordinating and organizing resources just isn't the same anymore. And mm-hmm. we have to redo how we 
solve problems at the local level with mm -hmm. communities. And that definitely should be trickling up to how we solve problems with the government. We all need to be just shifting how we're doing stuff and mm -hmm. doing it in a way that is, you know, collaborative, that's, you know, focused on learning, that is humble, that is authentic, that is equitable and strategic. And so, yeah. Yeah. And that works. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when you get that all figured out, I'm going to, I'm going to watch from the corner. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm totally, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. When you get that all figured out, you can come back. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not a big fan of Oreos, but I got to say life's too short for bad cookies. I just got to say. Right. That. I, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah. Cause you know, that um, I had uh, Kathleen Sullivan on the podcast and she talked about nonprofit advocacy and um, because a lot of nonprofits think they can't advocate. And that yep. has like been the, that was like the number one all time, most downloaded episode of my podcast. I'm, I'm not surprised at all to hear that that was really popular because I, I was, think I was kind of shocked to tell you that not, not that because Kathleen's awesome. Um, yep. but yep. so you're not shocked. That's interesting. No. And I think that's really encouraging that people, cause that was not the case 20 years ago. They were very separate, but I think now we are really understanding how our government and our, and how we advocate has such a profound impact on how we're doing social change. Mm -hmm. So I think it's great news. I think it's a great development that I, people are starting to really understand the structures and just even take healthcare again, you know, healthcare back when, you know, we were young, healthcare had nothing to do with government, unless you were on Medicaid or Medicare, mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with it. And now people are really understanding our healthcare system. Our government has a lot of say, a lot of money, a lot of power into how our entire healthcare system works, even though healthcare has been traditionally corporate run. And I just, I think it's really encouraging because we're experimenting healthcare. We're working mm -hmm. together. We're trying to figure it out. And I think it's a great model for how we solve a lot of our entrenched challenges. We need to look bigger and broader beyond just the nonprofits. And um, it does involve corporate. I know um, my friend, Stephanie Malon Rufi works a lot with social enterprise and mm -hmm. corporate, cor how is corporate engaging in problem solving? There's really amazing, amazing things happening with social entrepreneurship, which are really encouraging. And the same with government. There's a lot of policy entrepreneurship happening. And just given the fact, like the, a lot of the work that I do, I'm hired by, like right now I'm working with the Department of Health. And they are hiring me to engage communities around solving the problem of health equity. I mean, that in itself, mm -hmm. the fact that our government is doing that is a really positive development. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that that was a positive episode. Mm -hmm. people, are, mm -hmm. people are wanting information about advocacy and how to do that and how to partner with government mm -hmm. effectively and, and change the system. So yeah, that's awesome. Great. That's great. So as we draw to close here, uh, everybody on your podcast um, always uh, comes with some quote. I love that. You probably mm -hmm. have like, you probably have files and files of great quotes. The question I ask all of my guests are, uh, is when you look to the future, what community possibilities do you see? Mm. I think I spoke to it a little bit, but I, I just think that as we talk about system change, um, I'm just really, really encouraged by what is happening. It's very frustrating and very challenging, but I think with anything, when things get really challenging and really frustrating, it's usually a sign that something's going to break through that's really positive. And so I'm really encouraged by the fact that we are having a lot of growing pains and frustrations around government and civic life. 
and I'm um, encouraged that people are starting to understand the economic disparities that are existing that have existed for a long, long time, but people are frustrated with it. And I think that we're having really good, rich discussions about how those need to pivot and change. And I think people are engaged in very different ways than they have been. Mm -hmm. And I think people are starting to really understand that we need to really retool how we see problems and how we think about problems and we need to engage in different ways. And so, so I'm really, I'm feeling really optimistic and encouraged. It's, it's painful in the time, in the, in the time right now. And these processes are frustrating to be sure, but yeah, I'm just really encouraged by how we are solving problems and coming together in very unique ways that we wouldn't have expected 10, 20 years ago. So. <laughs> well, I love your uh, positivity and your, your optimism. And then, you know, that's, that's really true. When I can think about just in, in my personal life, right, where I've been stuck, Very usually true. that's that darkness always, you know, something breaks through. You're absolutely right. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a little bit of that positivity <laughs> and move it forward. So Tracy, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about you, work with you? Yep. Uh, you can go to my website, socialmotion.co, one word. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, all of the social media sites. Um, yeah, but get in touch. Go to my website and get in touch. If you're interested in system change and culture change and this community work, um, I would love to talk to you. I'm trying to find build a community, as are you, about with people who are doing this work and passionate about this and bringing ideas and knowledge and expertise and tools. So get in touch. would love to get to know some of you more. Awesome. And I will put all of your, uh, your social links in, in the, uh, in the podcast notes, and I will put the, the link to the YouTube video, the five whys that you were talking about earlier as well. So Tracy, thanks so much for joining me today. This has been awesome. Thank you. Take care. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of Community Possibilities. I hope you were inspired by what you heard. I have a big announcement for you. I have a new free mini course that is available that I have designed for community coalition and nonprofit leaders. I've found that something that gets community leaders over their fear of evaluation or maybe it helps them make it more of a priority anyway, is to think about how they can use their data to reach their audience. So in this free mini course, I talk about infographics and success stories, and uh, even throw in an activity that you can do with your community group. So uh, check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can go on over and grab that mini course. And before I let you go, just want to remind you that it's so helpful if you would like and share and maybe even take that extra second to write a review about the podcast. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.